best thing about a business is as it scales, you start being buried in manual work. At some point, cracks start to emerge. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by or 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all your KPIs. That is key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. That is exactly what I've done time after time for our businesses and when we were scaling at AutoMile. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely for free at netsuite.com slash scale. That is netsuite.com slash scale to get your own KPI checklist at netsuite.com slash scale. I've learned the hard way to only work with the best. For anything related to business accounting, bookkeeping, and finance, the team at Monpack is my go-to. They've absolutely nailed it and taken care of me of the three to four startups I've worked at previously. And anyone that works with them can't endorse them enough. Their SaaS accounting service is sophisticated, scalable, and an amazing value. For me personally, they're trustworthy, high integrity, and just great people. Grab a free consultation with one of their experts at montpack.com. That is M-O-N-T-P-A-C.com. Montpack.com. Welcome back to another great episode of the Uncharted Podcast. I have a good friend, someone I've known for a couple of years, Peter Molnar. Welcome to the Uncharted Podcast. It's great to be here. We, we like to kick it off with a very quick, brief, personal as well as business bio. Give some context to the listeners who you are, Pete. You've known me for, I think, four years. I've been at this close to 40 years, right? So I consider myself to be a seasoned veteran. I live in Detroit. In fact, I live less than a mile as a crow flies from where I grew up. So I kind of stayed in the hood where I live, but I consider myself to be a global champion of B2B execution and sales and partnerships. One of the things I've always admired about you is you're just a hustler. Like you go out there and you you work it, you you get it done. Where does that hustle come from? I think it comes from being raised by a couple parents that kind of had to hustle to make it in life and ended up doing really well. My mother let me sell my toys and then let me sell the flowers from her garden. I had some great customers then and have been hustling all my life, but I love it because it's really about connecting with other people and learning from other people. I have this picture in my office and it's about 45 guys in suit and ties and white shirts with skinny ties and maybe a half dozen women who were supporting them. So that was the old school sales team that I learned from that actually was one of the original sales teams that was selling transistors and then ultimately chips. And they competed with IBM. And now I was thinking about it earlier today and these people were really farmers. They weren't hunters because I'd go into their territory and they'd let me just go cold coal because they never did it. So I think about that a lot today when you look at the run we've had for the last 10 years. There's some, been some incredible young salespeople that I've met over those 10 years who have done extremely well 
But you know what? I don't think they ever had to pick up the phone in their lives other than to return a phone call. So, uh, you know, the outbound that people like to talk about today, whether it's, you know, through emails and cadences or some people may be making cold calls is definitely broken, but I think there's a way to reinvigorate. What's one thing you've learned either from your parents, your mom, your dad, now that you have kids or have had kids that you've always like tried really, you know, passing it down? The big thing is, look, you got to get up every day and give it your best shot and persist, right? Don't give up. I remind myself anytime I'm down, every dog has their day, but you know, tomorrow the phone's going to ring or all of a sudden I'm going to have a few deals that I was working on that might've been dead. And all of a sudden they come back to life and you close them out of the blue. And if I wasn't persistent and optimistic, that wouldn't be the case. And I have to admit, I was raised by some pretty optimistic folks. You're one of the few people I've met that I've seen have actual impact. What I mean is uh, revenue through partnerships, right? They're some amazing, amazing people I've met through partnerships, but more often than not in the startup world where you need to put points on the board and you got to do it quickly. I I've just not seen that happen consistently. Whereas for you, we worked a bunch of times and I've seen it. So talk to us a little bit about like your framework of, you know, like when you go into these partnerships, whether it's for a new startup, like what goes through your head? Like, how do you go about wanting to go through market for these startups like talk to us through like like some transferable things that maybe if i'm if i'm trying to do what you do i can maybe take some of the lessons and put it into my go to market approach if i go back in every quarter of my professional life partnerships have been key to my success in sales so if i go way back in history you know maybe when the ibm pc came out you know, a lot of people forget IBM became a dominant player for a period of time because everybody was building to their platform. Everybody was developing software to their platform. And when I would be out in the field with the sales team I was leading at my company, um, I would run across people who would have requirements that we couldn't fill. So I was like, well, who can fill this requirement for my customer? So it did two things. It brought more value to my customer by saying, no, I don't have that. But hey, Poya has this. You should go talk to Poya. That that was a real key to success. And that was early on working with partners. And that's been the case all these years. I'll tell you a partnership I did that, you know, I was thinking about today that kind of blows my mind. So if we go back to the early 2000s, 2000s the the dot-com boom was going like crazy. I was first time working for somebody else other than myself. It was a small, actually it wasn't small, but it was a publicly traded uh, offshore company. And I got an opportunity to work for the CEO. And all of a sudden we get this RFP from General Motors to build an employee portal. Ford Motor Company had just announced they were doing with this deal with this company called PC, People PC. They were going to give all their employees PCs. Well, GM felt they had to respond. So they ended up saying, we're going to give all our employees access to the internet through GM for free. And uh, 
So they started negotiating with AOL and I happened to be in there and I brought a software vendor into the deal and AOL was at their top of their game. The CIO of GM was constantly in the Wall Street Journal, his picture like the Duke of Urbino, which is a famous Renaissance painting, you know, with his profile. So here I am, this, this, you know, this individual contributor, and I get myself into this deal that has AOL, Sun Microsystems, Broad Vision, which was number one traded on the on the stock NASDAQ that year. And they were all ready to, to blow me off, blow us off. But you know what? I stayed in that persistently, and I put that deal together. I mean, we're talking about the top players at that time. And that's about persistence. And that was a partnership. That was a partnership that after that, I said to myself, you know, Peter, you grew up here in Detroit. You've done great selling into Michigan, Ohio, and these local markets. We did some stuff in the federal government. And I said, you know, I need now, when I go out in my career, I need to look at it as a global market and not be. So it's to me, that was my first really big realization of how big a partnership you could form with other companies. I love this story. So thanks for sharing that. How would you say partnerships has evolved since then? So let's fast forward by only five years, right? I'm with a company that got blown up by the dot-com world and got recruited to help turn an enterprise software company into a SaaS software company. And the model at that time was Salesforce. It was 2004. They only had 400 employees. We became one of the first ISVs. And I was like, oh my God, Salesforce is building this co-sell motion with their partners. And if you look at, you know, what that was all about, it was filling filling gaps that Salesforce had. So when they were competing against Siebel and, and some other companies, they would bring their partners in to sell. And that was like, okay, this is this is real co-selling at the field level, executing at the field. And you know, I was really fortunate to get into SaaS. And into that whole co-sell motion back then. And, you know, today's SaaS model, I don't think anybody can stand alone, right? They're all, you know, the most recent area of co-selling is with the hyperscalers, right? So whether it's selling with GCP, Azure, AWS, that's where co-sell motion is going today. I mean, look, Salesforce announced three weeks ago that they're going to be selling on the AWS marketplace, which is really amazing. So when I think about co-sell today, it's a word that a lot of people have been promoting over the last five years, but the history of co-selling is as old as tech. So there's nothing new. And in fact, when I look at like my whole philosophy around working with startups or even large scale-up companies, it's like, hey, is there a cultural fit? What's their pedigree, right? Are these people, do they have a history of starting businesses and startups that have been successful or have they worked at a big company and now they're going out on their own and being uh, successful. So those are the kind of companies I want to sell with. They don't have to have a war chest. When I first started SaaS Partners, my first client I cold called. And what intrigued me about them is that they were in the Salesforce ecosystem. They had built a solution entirely on the platform and they were in a space that was very successful, which was called document generation. So I went after this company based on my experience. 
And uh, it turned out to be an unbelievable partnership. In fact, that deal I did working with a company called S-Docs actually spawned 13 OEM deals. So a lot of people, when they think about partnerships, they think about referrals, you know, co-selling, you know, reselling. The OEM partnerships are fantastic way for startups really to get their their message out there and build awareness as well as revenue. It's it's basically white labeling, right? Like it's yeah, it's allowing yeah, it is. It, it's it is it's, white labeling. For example, when I was at HackerRank, we used to allow Indeed to technically assess some engineers, right? Nobody knew it was actually HackerRank doing it in the background. They thought it was Indeed, but it was actually HackerRank doing it. So it's allowing you to use your services, but not you know having the other person think it's branded, right? Something yeah, along those lines. I started doing that at, at Adobe when Adobe bought EchoSign. I went to work there. It was very apparent that there was a huge market for getting Adobe Sign, EchoSign embedded in these other platforms that were being taken to market. So some of the listeners that listen to this, usually they've had some sort of traction, okay? They're going to be somewhere between two to 10 million, okay? And they've usually done it through the traditional channels or popular channels that everybody knows, direct sales, inbound, this and that. And they're now expanding to look into partnerships. Talk to me through like literally step-by-step, step, if if that's the scenario you're in, someone's in, let's just say they're at five or six million in ARR, have happy customers. Now they're trying to expand into partnerships. What would you do if you're in that role? Like walk through step-by-step step what you would do. The first thing I would do is figure out what the solution, what platform the solution's built on, right? What hyperscaler? Is it, did they build on top of AWS, Azure, kind of understand that. Then I would take a look at, you know, the solution they're selling and the markets they're selling into. And if they're vertical, that's pretty straightforward where I'm going to go. If they're horizontal, that means they could partner with anybody, but I'm going to look for where the best adjacencies are. In other words, partners, typically ISV partners that are selling into the same market in the same space that are not necessarily competitors that we could actually do some go-to-market with, right? Where we could share everything around co-selling that's important, whether it's the customer base up to how the products fit together. A lot of people talk about, you know, SaaS allowed you to build API-driven partnerships based on building these integrations. So I would look at, you know, and I'd also look at, at the company, right? Because there may be four or five companies in, in the space, these a type of partner I might be looking at. And I would look at, hey, what's going to be the best cultural fit? Which people get it? Which people are willing to extend their brand? It's very interesting, boy. A couple of uh, clients that I've tried to attract over the last year, year and a half, as we've gotten down to brass tacks, I said, I mean, Peter, you're going to actually have one of my emails addresses and you're going to take my brand to market. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's how SaaS Partners operates. We're going to make you successful. And they're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, boy, I wish I would have figured that out at the beginning. I've learned that I got to look for cultural fit. I got to look for experience, right? What their pedigree is and who their investors are, boy. That's really important to me today. And they can be bootstrapped. They could have zero investors, but I'm going to look at 
well, where they are in their business, how successful have they been in terms of for the length of time they've been in to where they've grown their business. I'll give you one example. There was a partner that I started working with about three and a half years ago. They were about 4 million ARR. Now they're about 18 million ARR. They were bootstrapped, but I could tell that they had the right pedigree. They had the right products, the right people. And, and how do you assess for that? So look, I'm, I'm going to look at the company. I'm going to look at the the market they're in, the adjacent ISBs that are, are complementary competitors in that market. Is, is it a big enough market? Is there a lot of action there? I'm going to look at the people's LinkedIn profiles. I'm going to see you know, where they've been, what success they've had or failures they've had. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I'm going to do back channel. Um, you know, I have a book behind me. It's called The Who. It's about hiring people at high levels. Who do they know? Who can you talk to to understand who they really are? Because there are so many people that speak a good game. Their resumes, their LinkedIn profiles look great, but they've never had to execute in any fashion that's been challenging. Do your references. Just do your references. I have this term I started to use a few years ago called execution to inform strategy. So I really believe going out there and executing from day one. So when you ask me also how I vet people that are part that that I think I can partner with, is like, are they responsive to my calls? Do they respect my persistence? Do they have an understanding? Have they been there and done it? And the ones that have, believe it or not. They're willing to talk to you. The ones that haven't. You got to have some adversity. Well, look, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you for coming on, for paying it forward. I love the stories. The one way we like to conclude every show, if if Peter could go back to any time, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? I would have thought globally when I was younger, I'm a very trusting person. So I would have continued to trust, but I would have said inspect a little more, really dig deeper into who you're working with and make sure they're a good cultural fit. You got to work with people you can trust. A hundred percent. That's the most important thing you can, you know, have, I, I would say in any core relationship, whether personal or business. Well, thanks for coming on for everybody tuning in. Peter Molnar is one of the most approachable people. So I will put his LinkedIn and whatnot in the show notes, reach out, connect with him. Thank him for coming on the show. And for everybody listening, happy new year. May this year be your best one yet. And be well, be safe, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Poya. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Best thing about a business is as it scales, you start being buried in manual work. At some point, cracks start to emerge. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by or 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all your KPIs. That is key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. That is exactly what I've done time after time for our businesses and when we were scaling at AutoMile. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely for free at netsuite.com scale. That is netsuite.com scale to get your own KPI checklist.
at netsuite.com slash scale. I've learned the hard way to only work with the best. For anything related to business accounting, bookkeeping, and finance, the team at Monpack is my go-to. They've absolutely nailed it and taken care of me of the three to four startups I've worked at previously. And anyone that works with them can endorse them enough. Their SaaS accounting service is sophisticated, scalable, and an amazing value. For me personally, they're trustworthy, high integrity, and just great people. Grab a free consultation with one of their experts at monpack.com. That is M-O-N-T-P-A-C.com. Monpack.com, 